Hey, it's Scott Orn of Cruise Consulting, and welcome to another episode of Founders and Friends. And before we start the podcast, let's give a quick shout out to Rippling. Rippling is the new cool payroll tool that we see a lot of startups using. Rippling is great for your traditional HR and payroll. They integrate very nicely. But guess what? They did another thing. They integrate into your IT infrastructure. They make it really easy for when you hire someone to spin up all the web services and their computer, which sounds kind of like not a huge deal. But actually, we did the study at Cruise. We spend $420 on average just getting a new employee's computer up and running and their web service up and running. It's actually a really big deal. It saves a lot of money. And the dogs are eating the dog food. Like We see a lot of startups coming in to Cruise now using Rippling. So please check out Rippling. Great service. We love it. I think we have a podcast with Parker Conrad. You can hear it from his own words, but we're seeing them take market share. So shout out to Rippling. And now to another awesome podcast at Cruise Consulting's Founders and Friends. Thanks. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to Cruise Founders and Friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and Friends with your host, Scotty Orn. Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And today, my very special guest is Brian Parks of Bigfoot Capital. Welcome, Brian. Thank you, Scott. Happy to be here. Yeah. So um, so we're excited to, re- to record this podcast. You are in the debt world for startups, which is a world I know really well. And that's why I was excited to have you. But maybe you could just kind of start off by saying a little bit about your background and retrace your career and how you had the idea to start Bigfoot Capital. Yeah, sure thing. So Bigfoot, we're four, four years old now. Um, so still, I don't know, an infant, not an infant, a toddler, I guess, toddling our way along throughout this world. You know, really kind of the genesis for Bigfoot, quick ones over on me, kind of graduated college in 2004. And since then, kind of 60% of my career has been as an operator, 40%. Prior to that was um, in pretty traditional financial services, really investment banking. So I did mm. M&A, lower middle market M&A advisory. And, you know, as part of that, you know, help sell a lot of companies, help buy some companies. There was always in those transactions, be it with, say, private equity firms or strategic buyers, the concept of a capital stack, right? Maybe a bank's in there, maybe mezzanine financing's in there, equities in there, you know, a stack of capital. Then moving into kind of early stage, I got tired of doing that, decided I didn't want to do that with my life, wanted to actually build some stuff. Moved into startups in 2010. This has all been out in Denver, uh, where I still am. And where our team is as employee one of kind of a um, online travel market distribution marketplace company. So it was sitting in a basement, founders basement first into an office basement, kind of, you know, building that thing alongside the founders, which was great, you know, as a whatever I was at the time, 28 year old. And um, that was kind of my cut my teeth of, hey, this is no longer theoretical as a service yeah. provider. I'm yeah. actually doing this. Um, and And that was great. Right. And kind of. You know, that was my first foray into that. You know, over the next kind of seven years, I started a company, a B2B enterprise uh, SaaS business called Brandfolder, which is, you know, uh, ended up being very successful. No longer there, um, but great learnings there as a first time CEO and building a team and getting that product to market and raising capital, equity capital. Had also raised equity capital at um, the previous business as well. And then um, did a couple of other roles, you know, prior to Bigfoot. And Bigfoot germinated kind of in 2015, 2016, um, bringing that concept of, hey, I've raised equity. I know a bunch of people that have raised equity. It's super hard. It's not always great. Yeah. Are you going after angels? Are you going after venture? Blah, 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 yeah. blah. And a lot of people, myself included, you know, taking lumps along the way of doing that. So that experience, along with a knowledge, understanding of 
SaaS and that it, it as a business model of its own and specifically scoped to kind of this early stage, which I call initial scale at this at this time. These early stage companies, these aren't, you know, very far along in their growth stage where I don't have any direct experience as an operator. Yep. And pairing that with that concept that I mentioned earlier of a capital stack, like, okay, yep. why can't we get a different form of capital into these companies that may or may not be venture backed, may not be true viable venture debt candidates, may not looking be looking to be venture equity or venture capital um, funded companies. And that's it, right? And it was a very simple concept and remains a very simple concept is, you know, if you can look at these companies in a certain way, uh, you can provide a capital instrument, a growth capital instrument that can, um, can help them along the path um, in conjunction with equity and, you know, and substitute for equity, what have you. I love it. There's a couple of things you said there that are really great. First of all, the realization that you're actually doing this, like you're actually starting a company or running a company. I've, I know Vanessa and I have had that same thing where you're like, there's so much little responsibility that really adds up. It is like a total mind shift from like being a search provider or being an investor. So that's cool that you've had that experience. And then you talked about having uh getting some lumps along the way <laughs> when you're like, yeah. raising. and there are, it's, it's hard. It's hard to raise money. And then sometimes you're so thrilled working at a startup or starting a startup that people actually want to invest. You take too much money or you're hyper-focused on dilution. You don't take as, take as much as you really need. So there are a lot of learnings there so we can unpack that. But the final thing you talked about, which I think is super interesting, which is like kind of where you fit in the debt world, because I feel like over the last five years, Entrepreneurs have gotten a lot smarter about how debt works for them and, and maybe some non-traditional applications of debt. So maybe talk about, can you scope out kind of the traditional venture debt and then how you guys fit into the world? Yeah, sure. So I, I would agree that entrepreneurs, founders, execs, and SaaS companies continue to come up the curve in terms yeah. of, you know, where we saw things four years ago and when starting this and, you know. We still like to educate and still need to educate in a lot of instances, but I think that education hurdle has um, decreased, right? So these days I tend to think as we're marketing and writing content uh, and things like that, we're kind of approaching the already educated to a degree, which may mean they have borrowed money before, maybe they haven't, maybe they've been studying up on it, right? The narrative is kind of shifted. So, you know, in the venture debt, and venture debt is thrown around as a, moniker and it's a thing and I've written about it and you've written about it and you've been a venture debt provider yourself. Catch all word, right? Which is, which is cool, which is fine. But you know, to me, it's back to my kind of thinking of, Hey, there's a whole lot of, there's a hundred SaaS companies and five of them are going to be venture capital funded. What about the other 95, right? Some subset of those should be financeable in some format. Venture debt doesn't really solve for that traditional venture debt, right? It's still looking to that 5% that's raised venture equity because that's what it is. You know, a venture debt lender is looking to a heavy degree to the sponsors, the venture capitalists that are backing that, that company with equity, right? And if that's not in the picture, it's not viable, right? Be it a bank venture debt lender or a non-bank venture debt lender. So I think that's where people get a little bit hung up or confused is, Oh, okay. Like venture debt. Yeah, I can get venture debt. Well, you venture, or do you institutionally venture capital backed? And who is the actual venture capitalist? Because they're not all the same, um, right? And, you know, that capital is not accessible to them. And then in turn to you equally, if that makes sense, right? But you're right that 95% is underserved or not served at all right now. The the 95% that don't have like the Sand Hill Road VC or the premium, you know, Boston or New York VC firm in them. And there's, 
certainly five years ago, there was no capital available, no debt capital available for those companies. And now like folks like you at Bigfoot are actually bringing capital to that market and making, I guess, probably a lot of times before they ever raise venture capital, even, are you seeing companies that don't even have angel money who are just bootstrapped? Yeah. yeah. It spans the gamut um, for sure. We've, you know, we've, worked with fully bootstrapped companies um, that yeah. have bootstrapped themselves to um, outcomes. We think in terms of outcomes, right? Um, yeah. And that's generally speaking a future equity round when you're in a better position of strength, you've proven out the growth metrics to a large degree, what have you, you actually know how to, you're going to deploy three to 5 million bucks, which is important if you're going to go raise that money. Bootstrapping to an exit, right? We've, we've been a part of those situations where, you know, a company may be 10 years old, and at that point, and if you've bootstrapped a business to five million bucks in revenue, you're not all that interested oftentimes in selling equity, right? Or selling it in a venture capital format. So we can be a nice fit there. We've helped companies that bootstrap to a bank, right? So they're there more so optimizing for cash flow, but you gotta have 12 to 24 months of cash flow to get to yep. a bank. So it's, you know, all sorts of different there, situations. There's a bunch of different outcomes, you're right. And but even before we talk, like getting that, like you, you made a yeah. great point about kind of, being ready to deploy that capital. Like that's something that's a mistake I see founders make is they maybe don't have like a financial model and really thought through it. They, they're raising money because they just kind of think they need it. But what are you seeing? Cause I, I'm, my suspicion is especially at the non VC backed startups that are raising uh, debt capital from you, they may have like a kind of, I think maybe we can learn something from like how they're deploying the capital. Like where are they, where are they putting this money? Like what functions and what are they using it to, to grow faster? Yeah. So I'm actually kind of writing a series on this type of stuff right now. That's on our blog, bigfootcap.com slash blog. Give it a shout out. Um, and it's really the worst practices around raising capital. Yeah. The first one is what I call the casual capital raise, right? Like if you're going to yeah. go raise capital, don't be casual about it. Yeah. Um, you just can't be. And part of not being casual is actually knowing what the hell you're going to do with it. Uh, right. And being able to put that forth to a potential and, you know, investing partner. So, you know, generally speaking in our world, what is primarily being funded, you think about the P&L of a company, right? In a software company, three high yeah. level categories. There's GNA, you got to pay your execs, let's just say and office and all that good <laughs> stuff. Not really a growth. It's a cost center for the most part. Sales and marketing and then R&D and ongoing product development. Generally speaking, we're looking at that middle slice of sales and marketing, right? Okay, do yep. you have some, and that's where it gets kind of mathy, right? It's like, look, if you um, have your unit economics figured out to a degree, right, for certain channels, for instance, or you can launch certain channels, like then it becomes kind of mathy of like, okay, you're going to pay us back 1.5x over three years, whatever it is, um, and you can generate 3x, it's obviously accretive, right? So we're looking for opportunities like that and um, founders that understand that and are able to measure that success within, you know, their sales and marketing spend. Because then I'm out of the mindset like, man, you should kind of just do that all day, right? Like yeah. why sell a bunch of equity unless you need to run extremely fast from competitive market pressures or dump, you know, a million bucks a month into your funnel and, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. something like that. Um, so it's primarily sales and marketing spend, which includes team growth and discretionary, you know, sales and marketing spend. But, and, um, you know, to a little bit lesser degree, uh, ongoing product development, yeah. right? So, you know, important to note that, you know, if you're really still kind of doing pure R&D on your product or your core product, you haven't gone to market, you haven't, you know, Acquired a significant amount of customers that you've been able to renew and shown that in the data, you're generally speaking going to be too early for us. Yeah. That's really equity capital. 
and probably too too early for any debt provider. Yeah. You said something about like just looking at like sales and marketing as I think to paraphrase, you're kind of looking at that as an asset. Like in the old days of lending, especially in startups, people wanted to finance, you know, equipment or yeah. they even yeah. kind of started doing like senior loans that were designed to uh, extend runway. But I, what I hear you saying is like, hey, we love companies that we've kind of uncovered this hidden asset that doesn't necessarily appear on the balance sheet, but it's basically the math equation between customer acquisition and long, long-term value of the customer. And if you have that multiple arbitrage, you, you mentioned one and a half X for acquisition and three X, five X for lifetime value, then that's a great asset that you should be financing more and more of every single day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to boil it down to that, it's a great way to put it. Yes is basically the answer, right? So why have, <laughs> why have lenders typically not lent to companies that look like that? Because they don't have traditional assets. They don't have real estate yeah. or fixed assets or equipment or whatever, even though venture debt did start off in financing yeah. hardware, really. Yeah. Um, as did Silicon Valley equity, that's changed, right? So these asset light businesses, so then venture debt arises of, oh, maybe we can look at the equity backing as an asset, the evolution of venture debt from yep. say yep. hardware to you know actually looking at the equity. For us, again, not pure play venture debt, who else is in this situation from a capital standpoint matters, but for us, yeah, the primary asset is, beyond the IP is, is the quality of the revenue and the customer yeah. bases. And then it's, yeah. okay, how efficiently can you acquire and grow that revenue, which then gets to the, the kind of the sales and marketing um, yep. metrics, right? And all those fairly well codified at this point, definitely well codified and market understood and accepted um, unit economics for a SaaS business. Yeah. And you mentioned SaaS, like it, what was it about SaaS that drew you to that? And have you looked at other categories or you just sticking sticking with SaaS? Yeah, it's where about, it's kind of operate where you know, right? I think yeah. within you know, Bigfoot as a business, a lender is in financial services and you know we utilize other, people's money, of course, it's not all my own, right, to, to put into companies. So I think it's super important. And I, probably, I learned this in my investment making days, right? Kind of the firms I worked at, first firm was very generalist, right? Hey, we sell and buy, buy and sell companies and we know how to do that, great. But like, I think it's much more compelling if, if you're facing a company to actually have relevant domain experience um, yeah. and focus. And so yeah. given where I've operated, uh, that just made sense. A certain type of company at a certain stage, right? Yeah. And so not to say that we'll never go beyond that, but, you know, to date, uh, and it's a fairly broad mandate underneath that, right? So it could be verticalized SMB SaaS, could be enterprise SaaS, it could be all sorts of different in-markets customers. You could be bootstrapped, you could be venture-backed, like, you know, a lot there under. But uh, we've looked at some kind of B2C subscription stuff. Uh, we do do B2B marketplaces. So SaaS mm. is a, bit, a little bit of a misleader misleading b2b software primarily with a SaaS subscription business model okay that said cool. you know we'll do marketplace we'll do anything that can kind of wrap our head around that that um that has data that um, indicates that it's recurring in nature yeah and so it's it's that recurring nature and the fact that the customers in SaaS. i'm generalizing here but like if you're running a good SaaS business you're going to retain your customers every year or, or a very high percentage of those customers and that mm -hmm. that's that's what you got and when you guys are doing your underwriting what are you you're looking at like customer churn and customer average selling price and things like that yeah definitely we're looking um at you know, kind of three high level buckets for us again back to the revenue and the quality of that revenue so in companies that you know in the public markets for instance for companies that generate earnings, which is a whole nother conversation. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes the companies we're lending to are not meaningfully or consistently generating um, positive earnings or EBITDA, right? Like we all get that within the ecosystem we operate in. Sure. Yeah. 
yeah, 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 right. So rather than say quality of earnings, which is a thing for you know companies that have significant earnings, quality of revenue really matters to us, right? So and the metrics related to that. So that's number one. Number two is back to the growth efficiency type things. It's really the unit economics around sales and marketing primarily. And then um, cash and kind of capital management, right? So we don't expect that companies are going to come to us with some war chest of cash, right? However, we do want to understand this is where the use of proceeds comes into play. Yeah. How are you going to use this cash? This yeah. may be more cash than you've ever taken into your company in certain states. So like that's kind of a step change in and of itself. Are you going to be a good steward? How are you going to use it? You know, are you going to go on cr some crazy burns plan that like <laughs> we can't even fund? Are we going to be aligned? Right. Um, yeah. So, and then that's things like runway, for instance, and yeah. that cash burn as a percentage of top line. Or Alignment is such a great, great concept. Like you're totally right. Hey, it's Scott Orner, Cruise Consulting. And before we get back to the podcast, quick shout out to ChartHop. ChartHop is one of my favorite new SaaS tools on the market. And basically what ChartHop does is it puts your org chart in the cloud. And I always like to say like it brings transparency to your organization. And so, you know, everyone in your organization can see who they report to. They can see the full org chart of the company and how their group relates to other groups. It also has a lot of information on the individuals in the company. And so you can click on the ChartHop profile and just get like where people live, their experience, you know, Slack handles, all this kind of stuff. And it's just a really great tool. The other thing is ChartOp has started doing some cool stuff around compensation and budgeting planning. And so you can actually start seeing like what the cost structure of the company look like during certain kind of scenarios. So I'm loving ChartOp. Check it out, ChartOp.com. We use it at Cruise, really like it. And I can't recommend it enough. All right, back to the podcast. Is there like a shorthand? Like, is it 12 months of cash or I always tell startups to raise based when they're raising equity, raise like 18 months of cash basically, or more. Yeah. Like yep. I mean, yep. how, how, how do you guys think about that? Cause you want to give them enough cash so they can accomplish those milestones that allows them to either have that event, get bought, get refied, or maybe do an equity round. Like, how do you think about the timeline? Yeah, it's a great question. And I don't think I've written should write on this or maybe something will come out of what I'm about to say um, <laughs> even better. So I'll start with, you know, for us, it's not that 12 to 18 month concept. Again, that becomes for us a little bit not feasible. So, if, uh -huh. you know, when a company comes to us, it does vary. But let's just say we're not expecting when we lend money to a company for them to keep on an ongoing basis, 12 to 18 months of runway. Right. It is common for us to provide subsequent capital, right? So we're gonna kind of say, hey, don't go below this. If that's three, four yeah. months or some minimum yeah. amount of cash in the bank balance, like don't, we're not the group that you're gonna come to and say, hey, Brian, we need to fund our next payroll. And, like that shouldn't happen, yeah. um, right? You should be planning better than that. We'll have insight into that anyways, like that wouldn't happen. Um, yeah. But that shouldn't be the expectation, right? And there are forms of capital out there that do satisfy that need, be it a credit card, be it selling your receivables, be it something short-term in nature. So that's number one. We're sensitive to companies running out of cash, of course. And cash management's important in learning how to manage cash. The 12, the 18 month runway equity mandate that you mentioned is, you know, it's kind of well known and it's, it's not our expectation. And I think the way I think about that <laughs> is kind of like, okay, VCs are really good at like marketing and putting forth kind of mandates which is, I think, and props to them. And this whole 18 month thing is like, 
yes, I, it's beneficial in that it gives you enough time to put that money to work and create value. Generally speaking, in that format, I think you tend to be on the hamster wheel of, okay, you're trying to get to your next raise, right? Yeah. 12 months of execution, yeah. six months of doing that from a, yeah. raising the B yeah. if you raised an A. And what it gives the VCs, likewise, the opportunity to do, it's a really good market, is re realize a markup in their portfolio. It takes them yeah. probably, yeah, 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 generally yeah. speaking, yeah. 18 months, unless you're hyper growth, series C, D, whatever, yeah. to realize that markup. So anyways. But for you guys, since you're not doing a lot of the VC backed ones, it's it's going to be a shorter cash It'll runway. It'll be a shorter but, time frame. But yeah. it should pay itself back quickly so that the cash runway doesn't get worn down as fast as like a VC firm that's just spending a lot of money and building or, you know, whatever they're doing with the money. Yeah. It, again, it's just kind of situational. So it's where are you like, do you have projections? What do your projections look like? Where are you trying to get? And are you reasonable with what the potential outcome can be? Right. So. You know, do you say you're raising a Series A? Is that where we're trying to get? What are your growth rates, right? If they're 15%, that's going to be pretty tough. Not 50% yeah. month over month, maybe. But, yeah. you know, so let's just be reasonable here and figure it out. And can we provide enough capital in a way that makes sense for us and for you? We don't want to overlever you and suck all the cash out of your company. That can yeah. help you get to where you think you're trying to get while understanding that you're not going to hit your plan 100%, generally speaking. Yeah. So it's that whole... And I think it's really in our in in our world, these are um, million plus dollar financings, generally speaking, they're in their you know three year type money, right? And it Got may it. stay out that long, it may not. It's growth capital, right? Yeah. That's the way we think about it. Those terms are super helpful, though. So three is it like um, maybe you can walk through like a typical instrument? Like is it yeah interest only period or is it amortizing over three yeah. years or how does it structured? Yeah, I mean, we try to keep it simple, right? So it's it's common for us to put out, you know, a three-year term loan that's maybe got uh, six to twelve months of interest only, provide some initial cash flow relief, right? Um, reinvest that cash to the greatest degree possible, then start paying down the facility. Yeah. Let's say month twelve, right? And also, you know, so million and a half dollar commitment. Maybe you're a three hundred thousand dollar MRR company when we come in. Maybe we say, okay, great, here's nine hundred k, something like that. Over the next six, 12 months, you can access this remaining 600K as you grow, right? And so there's this one concept of a commitment of capital. Great. As a founder, I should care about that. I know it's there with some prescription around it. I can go take it, go heads down and create value and then prove <laughs> that value and take more or not take yeah. more. We're not going to yeah. force it on you. Yeah. Yeah. The option, the entrepreneur has the option. But so, and are you guys looking at it as a multiple of like the commitment amounts, a multiple of reoccurring revenue? Or how do you think about that? Yeah, generally speaking, right? So concept of a multiple of MRR, occasionally this comes back to, hey, not everything's SaaS, not everything needs to be SaaS subscription, right? So there could be other revenue streams in there. There could be some services, there could be some hardware, there could be some marketplace, transactional, all these things. So sometimes we'll look beyond just that pure subscription line item on the PL and do a more holistic revenue multiple, but that's the um, easiest way to think about it is a multiple cool. of your MRR. And how do you guys think about the pricing? Like what's what's the, I'm not gonna hold you anything, but like the broad pricing of, of the debt. Yeah, two ways. And so we provide both term loans and revenue-based financing structures, uh, mm, okay. more so term loans than RBFs. We can get into that if it's interesting. Um, <laughs> but you know, I'll, I'll speak in terms of a term loan, right? So. Term loans have an interest rate and they may have some fee structure. They may have warrants if it's venture debt. Uh, we've never taken a warrant. So we're more so 
yield focused. So for us, that's kind of in the mid to high teens type interest rate, um, which a lot of people see and go, oh my God, and uh, freak out about, right? It's like, okay. Well, I I have those conversations with founders sometimes, but like when you're a really early stage company, you don't have like a equity sponsor. It's actually a, it's that, that interest rate is, I don't think actually is that bad because it's, it's, you're trading off basically a lot of dilution that you'd give up if you raise an equity round. Yeah. And yes, you're yep. paying a high interest rate, but you're if you're truly hitting your milestones, you're raising the value of your company significantly more than that on an annual basis. So it, it works for everybody, but you have to be able to make the money work and have it actually be productive for you. Versus yes, it, if you're paying a high interest rate and not going anywhere, that's a bad deal. If, if, you, high can't, rate, if yeah. you can't believe that and show it and we can't see it, neither of us should do it. Yeah, right? yeah. Like it has to be a creative. And of course, things will happen along the way, but like, you know, that's that's how it should work. And that's where the math problem is. It's like, okay, if that is the case, you should do it as much as possible within reason. Of course, I'm biased there because I'm a lender, but that's the way I think <laughs> about it. So yeah, and that, you know, the other way to think about it is kind of the cash on cash return. That's the 1.5 that I mentioned earlier. If you, yeah. if we are, you know, through a mix of interest rate and fee structure, what have you saying, okay, here it is. We're super transparent about all of this. It's 1.46. Right over three years, if it goes full term, if it doesn't go that long, it's not that much, right? Yeah, not gonna. Yep. So, can you do better than that on spending it? And you have to materially yeah. better than that on spending it, right? I think a lot of people, and so there's you know, the interest rate and some sticker shock there, maybe there's um, the cash on cash and wrapping your head around that. And then the, ultimately, what you really should care about is what does the monthly payment look like? Yeah. Right. That's why I asked about the amortization period because I think yeah. you, you mentioned the the six to twelve months of interest only. That's that allows you to really put that money to work. And a lot of times when you're doing marketing spend, you should have a below one year uh, return on investment. Like you don't ideally, it's less. Ideally, it's three months or six months, but you should be able to get that money back pretty quickly and recycle it a couple times before yeah. you're making payments. So that that is important to look at too. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think, you know, it is worth noting that some of those, um, back to the use of proceeds, some of that money may be going into efforts that don't generate revenue for a period of time. More of those R&D efforts. But mm-hmm. I do think, you know, at the stage of companies we're working with, generally speaking, you know, a million five plus ARR. Those efforts are quite different from, say, a pre-seed, you know, type company that's um, just building their product. Yeah. That, to put equity into that, that may take, three, four years to generate revenue. The R&D efforts we're doing that are incremental, generally speaking, to an already market accepted and revenue generating product, you know, they may take more than a year, right? They're not kind of, that flywheel's not necessarily working there generating revenue day one, if that makes sense. So yeah, think about those things. You're not not doing baseline research development. You're doing product add-ons that generate more cash or get you over the hump. Generate more cash, right? Make it stickier. You get expansion, yeah. open up adjacencies, yeah. uh, Jason Marcus, whatever. Cool. And then you, since you found it, like how, what's the, yeah. what's the capital base of Bigfoot? Like, is it, is it, is it equity capital? Is it uh, hedge fund stuff? Like where, where have you guys sourced your capital from? Yeah. So it's, um, I guess I'm greedy with my equity. We bootstrapped it hundred percent until, um, until last year where we did bring on a little bit of outside capital from folks we've known for a long time um, that had been lending us money along the way. So um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of our thing. We're, uh, 
value your equity <laughs> and, you know, ultimately, hopefully reap the upside of that value creation, uh, which aligns with what we do for with founders. So we eat our own dog food there, I guess. Uh, along the way, kind of, as I mentioned, we're four years into this, we had some convincing to do not only to ourselves, but to people that have places to put money uh, holistically, you know, public markets, real estate, what have you, that it wasn't absolutely crazy to lend money to cash burning um, software companies that don't have traditional assets. So I think we've done a decent job there over the past few years. So we, you know, but prior to say the end of last year, it was um, retail money. High net worth accredited type. Oh, uh, okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it, you know, that's what it was. We kind of cut our teeth on that um, and did a good enough job to then graduate really to, you know, institutional money. So we've got an institutional partner and we still retain some of those, uh, say, retail oriented folks that have been along the way, uh, the journey. So I'm sure that's where we are now. Yeah. I'm sure you're generating a really good yield for them, which is really cool. Yeah. They well, charge us too much. But... <laughs> Everyone says that. <laughs> says the guy. Um, yeah. So I can relate to oh, feeling yeah, yeah. like I'm getting charged too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> for sure. Well, this has been awesome. Maybe you can tell everyone, just kind of reiterate, you know, where to find you, your target type of company and kind of the dollar sizes you like to play in. Because I think some, like it's really nice. Uh, the fact that you're so SaaS oriented and you're working with, not you're not just kind of the typical venture debt that I used to do. You're, you're kind of more opportunistic and more flexible, I think is a really good selling point for entrepreneurs out there. Yeah, cool. I mean, we're, I think we're pretty easy to find, bigfootcap.com. You won't find me hanging out on Twitter uh, all the time. Uh, but yeah, just go to bigfootcap.com and you can get to my my calendar pretty easily if anyone wants to uh, connect. Bparks at bigfootcap.com as well. Yeah, and so the companies, you know, we're generally most aligned with, probably Scott, are, you know, folks looking clearly to execute on a growth plan that requires at least a million dollars in capital, maybe as low as 500,000, right? Mm-hmm. But where we're really pointing ourselves these days are relationships that look uh, or can grow into in six, 12 months, kind of million to two million dollar type financing partnerships. Um, yep. That's where we are. And, you know, those tend to be companies that are kind of two and a half to seven in, in top line, you know, we'll go as communicated on our website as early as a million and a half and kind wow. of, you know, ride along with the growth plan. That's great. And those companies that, that bootstrap to that size, they've really put in the work and they've got a lot yes. to show for it. And so they're, yes. they're a good credit for you, but also they're probably pretty savvy if they built a company up that much without a lot of outside funding. So that's great. It's a good, good match there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah. Cool. Well, Brian, thank you so much. Congrats on starting the, and proving it out, really. You proved it out over the last four years. So congrats. And uh, we'll be sure to send you some cruise clients. Awesome. Yeah. I like you guys' content. Thanks for having me on, Scott. All right, man. Take care. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to cruise. Founders and friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and friends with your host, Scotty Scotty. Oh.